The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You're listening to Wins Above Fantasy, part of the Pitcherless Podcast Network with Van Burnett, and Steve Giswelli. Welcome back, everyone. It is Wins Above Fantasy, episode 88. Today is Friday, February 24th, which is of note because it is the first day of spring training. Baseball is in the air. We've got a great show ahead. Super excited to get back into the PLV world and focus much more on the hitter side. We have a very special guest we will introduce. I'm Van Burnett, joined as always by Steve Giswelli. You guys can follow us on Twitter at WindsAbovePod. I'm at Van underscore verified, and Steve is at Stav8818. Steve, happy spring training. Next week, uh, we got TGFBI drafts kicking off. A lot of excitement in the air. I know we've got, uh, you know, we know what draft slot we're drafting out of. We'll talk about TGFBI later, but uh, how's it going, man? Good to, good to be back on the mic with you. It's good. Uh, as this podcast releases and possibly as you're listening to it there is real baseball going on not real real baseball but an actual game that is nice uh considering we waited all winter for this and didn't have a lockout to worry about or or whatever you know a pandemic that canceled the two-thirds of the season uh it's nice to have a normal off season and just get right into right into spring training so it's exciting stuff and we got, we're got two weeks out as we record this from uh, the World Baseball Classic as well, Steve. Are you going to be yeah. tuning into that? Or, I, you know, is that real baseball? I'm, I'm like, I'm excited for it, but I keep on forgetting about it. And then when it's going to happen, it's like, it's going to be even more exciting because, you know, I, I know that. It's growing. It's exactly. It's and, not the and, World and, Cup yet, right? And some people, you know, think it's more of just a novelty type of thing. I'm. I mean, these guys care about it. I care about it. I think it's, uh, hey, we have a world best on best, you know, essentially, um, tournament uh, with meaningful games a, a few weeks earlier than there, there normally would be. So more yeah, baseball, different. sign me up. Yeah. Yeah, different different flavor, di- different energy. Um, I remember that most about the last one, so I'm really excited about the, kind of the balance of talent in this one. So, yeah, we'll, we'll, I mean, it'll be one more thing for us to – assess from a fantasy standpoint as well so very excited about all of that but we gotta keep rolling today steve because we have another back-to-back esteemed guest and uh, a brilliant mind behind the plv metric that we spent 
last show with Nick Pollock talking about, and we were focused on hitters. Uh, but it is uh, a privilege for us to have Mr. Kyle Bland on the show today. And Kyle, all the work you did behind PLV, it has to feel like a weight is lifted. I know you were talking off show about the article going out today, and it's got to feel like it's all kind of a collective exhale. On top of that, congratulations to your newborn and, and you know, the fatherhood. You and Steve can, can talk about that as well, uh, you know, during the ad breaks maybe. But, uh, yeah, Kyle, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us, man. Thanks, guys. Hey, yeah, happy to be on here. It's, uh, yeah, been the busiest month of my life, definitely. <laughs> Yeah, how how do you even uh, you know? Do you sleep four hours a night, or like you know, there ha- there had to have been a crunch moment where all of it was like happening at once? I would imagine. Oh yeah, I mean, well, that was I think we were in the hospital while like the days leading up to PitchCon, and so that was super fun <laughs> as I'm trying to be like, okay, my laptop doesn't have a webcam, but I can use my phone and then record and present from my laptop. And like just trying to figure out how I'm going to make all this work in a hospital room. And thankfully, everything went smoothly and I was able to make it home. But that was a, a nice, stressful time for sure. Yeah, Steve, you can probably relate as well, if, if I recall. It, it was it was it was tough enough being a first time dad and, you know, uh, it, it, your world gets turned upside down. But I can't imagine that happening simultaneously while releasing like this new you know game changing sort of metric on you know one of the most popular fantasy baseball sites that there is so uh you know props to you i couldn't i i, I kind of uh shut my brain off from from everything even though you know uh I, it was it was during the regular season when I, when i when i became dad so i was following the games you know but that was even hard enough to do i couldn't imagine coming up with a whole new uh pitch level uh metric uh and 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 pitch and and model to rival you know pitching plus and and then also do a whole hitter side of it i joked with nick that i've had two babies in the last month yeah Yeah. and my daughter (laughs) i love that yeah and steve for the record i'm calling bs on that because i remember you had to run home to like let cooper out and you had uh like an hour window and you're like, yeah, man, I can record this podcast real yeah, quick. And I'm yeah, like, don't yeah. you have like a one day old baby? So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. You guys, uh, you're setting the bar high for, for me potentially someday that, uh, no promises, Steve, if I'm skipping for a trip to Cancun, uh, I don't, I don't know what's, what's ahead, but, uh, we got an awesome show folks. And, uh, I think you're going to love it as spring trainings rolling around. Cause it gives you an extra little bit to look at for a bunch of hitters. I think we're going to test the all-time WAF record on episode 88 for the most player names mentioned. So that's a teaser. I know you guys love talking guys, um, but we are going to start a little high level with with PLV, get Kyle's perspective on his involvement, how to use the this new frontier of pitch level value data, and then really look at these five different hitter valuations in strike zone judgment, decision value, contactability, uh, power, and hitter performance. And each of them kind of has their own merit and their own kind of angle of measuring, uh, you know, what a, what a hitter does on a pitch-by-pitch basis and how to kind of grade that out. So we'll talk about all of those topics and the names within them and the beneficiaries. 
Uh, so we have all that ahead. It's going to be an awesome show. Uh, but let's start high level, Kyle. And, uh, you know, obviously we, we, we talked about the excitement of it. Um, from your perspective, because I know Nick talked about the three-year origin story and pacing around his kitchen and rooftop and everywhere else in New York. But for you, you got pulled in a little bit later. Talk to us about kind of your origin story of like when you got brought into PLV, uh, kind of the early days of it and what your role was ultimately. Yeah. So uh, it's it, it's a it's a really funny story. So I like started working on a project like this at the start of last season. So start of 2022, I think, you know, Eno had his pitching plus and stuff plus miles on. I thought that was really cool. I'm a data analyst by trade. And so I wanted something to kind of cut my teeth, build some skills. And so I was like, okay, like that seems like a really fun project and it'll help me win my home leagues. I'm in a couple fantasy leagues. And so it's just like, you know, I get that little edge by, you know, building a model from scratch, which I'm sure <laughs> no one else in my leagues did. But so I started doing that. And I started putting it on Twitter. I made like a whole, t- I made a Twitter account to post kind of like these cards just for fun and put it out there. Um, and then I, 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 I need to remember what the player was, but Nick posted something just to Twitter about like a question or man, wouldn't it be nice to have this? And I uh, DM'd him and I was just like, oh, hey, like I've been doing some work on this, blah, blah, blah. And this was in May. So like, you know, kind of early mid season. And then he responded back and like he DM'd me back and was like, Hey, are you free for an interview? Like in three hours, basically. <laughs> like, like he was like, Oh, we like he jumped in quick. And I was just like, Yeah, we got to talking. And he's like, We've been trying to do something like this. And so I was like, Oh, great. Like, I'd love to kind of jump in, see where y'all are at. Like, I kind of already have something in production, so I know a little bit how to push it through to the end. And yeah, that was it. That it, it was literally just I slid into his DMs, and it, it's been great from there. Well, that's a nice segue to uh, cover up my miss that you guys should all be following Kyle on Twitter at Blandalytics, B-L-A-N-D-A-L-Y-T-I-C-S. But yeah, Kyle, that's hilarious. It sounds pretty on brand for Nick to uh, come in with the three hours notice on the uh, the private interview there. But love that. Yeah, love that. I love that this was, at least from your end, spawned from trying to get an edge in, in your home leagues because that's essentially what, what it's all drove about. me to, you know. It's what it's all yeah, about. Yeah, do a, a, a podcast here and to, to research and do everything that I do with fantasy baseball. So, yeah, uh, just the ever quest to try and win my home league uh, again. I have one in the past. Just uh, uh, <laughs> did you win last year? Did you win last year with the? Uh... Yeah, I I there won, you go. Uh, I, I right. won my roto league and cleaned I'm, up I'm, in the pitching I'm, categories. So. I'm, I, so then I'm sold. I'm sold. We yeah. can end the podcast here. We don't need to know anything else. Use PLV. Uh, Kyle yeah. won. Yeah, Kyle won. <laughs> uh, yeah, Steve and I will just keep moving on on the agenda here. Um, so, Kyle the. The body of work is obviously, um, you know, you can get lost in the, the data and, you know, the machine learning and everything, but kind of a high level question, just what what was different or what stood out to you in the time you worked on it? I mean, was there anything that um, from like a, a metric standpoint that whether it was the weighting or just that process of kind of you know, going and going until you got it right. Can you share any kind of high level perspective about, 
you know, what you learned from the process and something that the viewers might not know about PLV based on all the work that you did kind of within the weeds of it? Yeah. So I, one of the first things as far as just like kind of jumping into the data, there's a ton that's available like on baseball savant it's great but it's like you said it's super deep it's super dense there's a it's hard to suss stuff out um but i first started taking cuts and i i one of the things i was interested in was just like okay what is the strike zone basically and everyone's like okay you know it's this rectangle it's kind of about a foot and a half off the ground uh what like two and a half three and a half feet uh, as the top and it's like a foot on either side but then i started digging into it and it's every batter's different which is like the mlb rule book they're supposed to be different which i didn't really know super well going into it so that was fun so yeah you don't think about that until that mm-hmm. side by side of like judge altuve or, yeah or whatever yeah and then you look at it yeah. like oh yeah that makes sense judge's strike zone is the size of altuve yeah so that that was kind of <laughs> right. cool to just be like okay like how much of this stuff like I see all these charts, strike zone plots, and it's how for a batter, are they using the batter specific ones? Like, are they using judges strike zone for his plot or are they like squishing everything into like the standard strike zone? And so that was kind of an interesting one for me to see like the differences between like how they're, I'll, I'll look at it in the later, but like decision value, like how that changes when you're using something that's specific to them versus like league average. So that was cool. And then looking at uh, one of the first steps in the model is, is something a called strike or a ball. So like actually seeing like what the strike zone, how it's called. And it turns out it's not a rectangle. Like you think you see everything. It's this nice stark rectangle, but it's actually more of an oval where Called strikes obviously are in the center, but as you get to the corners, they're not really called a ton of the time there. That it's more like if you really paint that corner, it's a called strike like 60% of the time. And so like I thought that was really interesting of, you know, we see all these great pitchers with impeccable command and you're like, you know, maybe once automatic ball strikes comes, like they're going to be even better. And like that was kind of a really cool thing to just dig into and see. I, I also think that we as fans now that especially with games that I, I think it's within the last few years that now every broadcast has that square strike zone, right? Yeah. Where it's like, oh, that was a strike. That was a ball. And like you yep. basically can tell as a fan watching the game whether it was a strike or ball. But I, I think, you know, you, you definitely know better building a model based off this, but it's not that simple, definitely. You know, it's it's like uh, there's a lot more that goes into it, like specific players, and then you know, just you know, because from the umpire's perspective, like they don't have that square, floating, invisible box to right, right. to reference themselves versus. But um, yeah, that, that, like, that's really it, interesting. Yeah. And Kyle, do you guys? So do you guys have to adjust for that, or did you have to adjust for that? That like, yeah, if it's if it's painting the corner, that's not a 100% called strike. That's you know 60%. So you have to kind of weight that as less of a chance of a called strike than if it hits the the middle of the zone. So that was one of the things I did. So basically, I defined it so the center of the zone is like on a coordinate grid, like zero zero. Mm-hmm. So like as you go down from the center, that's like minus vertical distance up from the yeah. center plus vertical distance and left and right, obviously. But I never explicitly say this is what the zone is because yeah, I'm sure. using historic called balls and called strikes 
that the model kind of knows like, okay, middle, middle, that's a called strike a hundred percent of the time or like, it kind of makes its own zone. It kind of, the model kind of makes its own zone then. Right. Yeah, exactly. That it's, it's, it's this kind of like graded oval of like, okay, here's your hundred percent of the time. 90% is a little wider, 80%. And so it's, it's actually really like a really neat just visual to see like, Oh, this is how it's, you know, this is the real "quote unquote" strike the, zone. The, effect, the effective strike zone, essentially. I guess. Yeah, right? yeah I yeah. feel like uh, I don't. I mean, I don't know personally, Kyle, but if you don't have any tattoos, that might be uh, tattoo number one. <laughs> yeah, I might. I might have to. I'll get my daughter's shape. name on one side. The shape then, of the strike zone. Yeah, yeah. PLV and, and your daughter's name right <laughs> amazing, there. Exactly. Amazing. <laughs> I love it. Uh, so yeah, those are those are great tidbits, and and I mean, it goes without saying. We we mentioned last week, but we probably should note. Uh, if you guys, listeners, have not seen the the PLV videos from PitchCon, definitely go out on YouTube, check them out, get into much more detail on the process. We're doing our best to kind of summarize so we can get to the application and, and talk about some players as well. Um, but for for that, for kind of fantasy use, Kyle, I'm sure there's a million ways that we can go about how we how we integrate this into our research, but what would be kind of your top level advice for the average fantasy manager who's listening on kind of different ways and tips that they can use PLV to inform whether it's drafts or in season, how would you kind of prescribe a a listener to, to use the tool for fantasy? Yeah. So uh, draft, like going into the season, definitely looking at those rolling charts that we've been putting out Uh, Scott Chu's favorite thing on the planet uh, that, (laughs) Those are great to kind of see like, okay, how did this guy finish off the end of last season? Was he making better contact? You know, O'Neill Cruz is his favorite because it's better contact, better decisions, all this and all that. That that, like, he may not be at that level all year this year, but he's approaching that. And that's kind of helpful if com- to have that compared to like what his season-long numbers were. That like, yeah, he's got a terrible K rate, but it's like, well... He made some changes and at the end he's looking better. So that might continue, you know, going into this season. So that's definitely like the preseason draft help is looking at, okay, how do they finish? And then yep. as this year goes on, these stats stabilize pretty quickly. So you'll need like a couple hundred pitches, which goes pretty fast. And then it starts to be like, okay, this is indicative of what his season will be like, or it'll be close to what his season long will be like. And then you can start to see like, okay, you know, he's making better contact that you could start doing these things. Like maybe you can cut bait on a guy sooner or look to acquire him in a trade sooner. Um, Those are kind of the two of like the targeted points that like I would use these for. One of the things that's also helpful with these is these help explain like why something happens, whether that's something in the past or if you think like this could help inform going forward. So we have, you know, on, on those charts, on the app, we have it broken down so you can see like, okay, how is this hitter dealing with two strikes that that can help diagnose? Like he's got a strikeout issue. And is that legitimate? Like, can he just not make contact or is he too passive or too aggressive? And that's the problem that those might be more fixable than something more fundamental, like his ability to hit the ball. And so I think these are super helpful in diagnosing things and trying to get, um, it's like a heart rate for a player's stats. Is it, yeah. is it high? Is it low? You know, is it something irregular that we really should dig deeper into? Or is it like, actually, he's doing fine. Maybe it's he's just unlucky or it's variance or whatever. And so I think these are also helpful in that sense to kind of provide a gauge for how a player's doing. 
Yeah, those makes sense totally. I mean, Steve, I don't know if you got any follow up questions on uh, the fantasy use. I know we're all kind of wrapping our arms around it. I've definitely been shifting some opinions of, mm-hmm. of some of my players. I, I don't know that it's fully like sent me off of a guy or, or you know put me on as circling someone, but it's it's definitely a, a important factor now in my prep. Uh, I I think that's. You know, obviously, what we get to and and why we're doing this to to put a fantasy spin on it. But I I think I really want to act like we buried the lead here. But give me, or Kyle, give me your like quickest possible way of a definition of what is PLV. Like my, I know we heard this from Nick last week, but I think it's good to hear different perspectives. And I, I know with such the role that you played in in it and developing it and getting it across the finish line for basically the last you know six to nine months now like what is what is plv if you had to define it to you know uh, an ordinary fantasy player like myself how good was that pitch it's that straightforward it's literally just how you know how valuable was it how many you know run you know then you can start getting more complicated about it how many runs how do we think it'll get those runs is it you know going to be a swinging strike or a weak contact that like you like that's kind of the beauty of it at the high level that's why we chose that zero to ten plv scale is it's just like bang this is how good that pitch was and then we can peel back the curtains and be like yeah it had this probability of a double and this probability of a called strike and a ball and like all that kind of stuff but how good was that pitch and on the hitter side of that, that is true. it? Yeah, how how good was that at bat based on the pitch, or how good was that reaction to that pitch? I mean, how would you? It's kind of one extension beyond the the pitch, obviously. Yeah, so that's kind of one of the beauties of how we get to that single PLV number of how good was that pitch is we do we project out all these outcomes of things like you know, are they making contact? Was it a ball? How many extra bases are we expecting from it? And so now that we have that information at every pitch level, now we can see like, okay, this is what the batter's reacting to. Cause that's the thing. Batters and hitters are so reactionary. They have to deal with what the pitcher gives them. And so if the, you know, pitcher gives them a meatball, we should know that and like adjust like, yeah, he hit a home run off it, but you know, we expected it to be a home run or maybe at worst a double versus like, you know, a DeGrom slider. If a guy hits a bloop single, like that's a win. Like that's, you did great. Like making contact and contact in play for a base, like great job. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, No, I love that. And we'll, we'll talk. I mean, I'm glad you asked the question, Steve. It's a, it's a tricky, simple question, Mm -hmm. an important one to add context, but one of the questions we asked Nick was just what one of the most the, the biggest takeaways or the best use was and surprisingly he went to hit luck as kind of, you know, a better version of Babip. And I think that can tell us things about pitchers. We talked about that last week on who got, you know, super unlucky or lucky. And we didn't get into it as much on hitters, but before we get into kind of the the key five uh hitter attributes that we'll get to uh, the rest of the show, I at least wanted to ask you your perspective on hit luck as a metric, how it can be used, and then maybe we can uh, get into, you know, just some top level names on who was lucky versus unlucky there. But uh, what's your what's your take on 
hit luck as a metric and do you kind of back what Nick was saying that it's one of the best aspects of PLV? <laughs> so I get to couch it and be like, yes, it's one of the best for pitchers. So the okay. thing about it being hit luck is all of these stats are based on what this pitch is. It has no idea who the batter is, what field it's on, uh, who's behind, who's on base, what the defense is behind them. It's just the pitch characteristics. And so one of the things that's kind of implied in that is this pitch is going against an average hitter. League like average. League yeah, average, yeah. just historical average hitter. And so for pitchers, that makes sense that it's a little bit more lucky. It's it's almost like going from FIP to XFIP kind of thing. Of it's going to, yeah, like, you know, he was facing Juan Soto and, and Juan Soto hit a home run off him. But, you know, we wouldn't really expect that a lot of the time given a league average or like an average distribution of hitters faced. And so, like, I think that's super helpful for pitchers. I think the hitter side, something that is important is hitter skill matters. That it is like, okay, how many hits do we expect this pitch to allow? Mm -hmm. But if you're going up against Luis Arias, he's going to get more hits than average by, like, a lot. And so that's important context of its you know, how challenging or easy was the pitch they faced, but you also need to fold into like this individual batter has skills, whether it be in their decisions, their contact, their power, all of them, none of them, that that kind of folds into their like quote unquote luck with getting hits. So it's almost where BABIP is in a sense for hitters that like you expect someone who crushes the ball, who's fast, who has a good hit tool, to run a high BABIP historically, but on the pitcher side, that's where you're seeing a lot of the advantages over BABIP because pitcher BABIP is kind of strange because, you know, it, it's not assuming it's league average. It doesn't like regress. Is that fair? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's also hit luck is still valid from a batter perspective, but I think it's helpful to keep that context in mind of like, okay, you know, um, Manny Machado had a ton of hit luck last year. And yeah, I, th- I think it's going to go down, but he's such a good hitter that it's it's not going to go to zero or to the negatives that he'll still probably end up with, like, if he had uh, 46 extra hits last year, and maybe it ends up being around 12 is like the expectation for Machado. That it's not fully regressing him, but it is something of like, well, let's rein it in a little bit. Yeah. No, that's super helpful, and glad we at least address that because it, it makes sense when you explain it that it's a, a little bit more effective for pitchers, but still valid and, and useful for hitters. So uh, that is awesome. And from here, we will get into uh, kind of the the power five here with strike zone judgment, decision value, contactability, uh, power, and then hitter performance. Kind of saving the best for last there. But first, we are going to take a quick ad break, and we will be right back. All right, so without further ado, Kyle, uh, I think we're leading off here in order of kind of what's what's available out there on the application and starting with strike zone judgment. So kind of the key, the grid, and I believe bef- just before we jump in, these are available currently. Is it through PL Pro or is it public at the moment? So these are public. These The, the hitter 
stats, uh, pitcher stats. These are available. The apps are public. I think if you go to Nick's PL8 launch article, the links are in there. And we also have, in addition to those apps that make the nice charts, we have uh, Google Sheets, one for hitters, one for pitchers, and those are both uh, publicly available. And feel free to make copies and sort them and filter them however you want. So that's kind of like our, like, everyone run with it kind of thing. Yes, and, and over time, uh, PL Pro will have you know some things like the rolling charts potentially you know behind PL Pro, but yeah, for now you guys definitely go out, uh, check it out, check the data out, and play with it a little bit. But yeah. uh, we are looking at you know kind of the it's the hitter at- attributes application, and it's got kind of a sortable table with the uh, you know the heat map, uh, the the grade ratings, a little bit of like you know, red for good, blue for bad. Um, and the first one being strike zone judgment that we're looking at is looking at the correctness of a hitter's swings and takes using the likelihood of a pitch being called a called strike or a ball. Um, so just wanted to, before we jump into the kind of the names, Kyle, you to, to talk about strike zone judgment and kind of how you guys created this metric, what it, what it means for the layperson. Yeah, so these the hitter ones are kind of out of my head. These were things like I generated uh, questions that I wanted answers to. And so that's kind of where these spring from. And so, you know, even just leading with uh, strike zone judgment that, you know, we have Z swing, zone swing, out of zone swing. And kind of what this is, is it's that zone minus out of zone swing, but using that like probabilistic strike zone that we were talking about. So basically, rather than saying, you know, this is in or out of that rectangle, that this is, okay, based on how umpires call this, I took a ball, even if it's like on the corner of the zone, just because umpires will call that a ball sometimes. Gotcha. So does this take into account the type of pitch, like a a slider necessarily, or like a tough pitch versus a a meatball, or is this strictly on location? So this one, this takes in, this takes it into account. So this uses, uh, like I was saying for POV for every pitch, we have our outcomes. This kind of just restricts it to called strikes and balls. And it only looks at that, but those uh, probabilities are generated. Yeah. Using what the pitch is, how fast it comes in, where it's located, obviously, and even uh, movement going into it. Okay, beautiful. Um, So, yeah, Steve, go ahead. So you get better credit if you took a, you know, dotted, low and away, sweeping 90-mile-an-hour slider from DeGrom that isn't really a, a common pitch rather than you know you would get docked for taking a meatball down the middle that you should definitely swing at is is that yeah. kind of the real life examples kind of uh... yeah so the way i kind of think about it is so i mean you have your two options swinging and taking and so if you swing basically you get credit for the more likely it is to be a called strike you know Got it. theoretically okay. you want to swing okay. at strikes and yes. you want to take balls and so, you know, once you get more to like the fringe, you know, that's where it's interesting is kind of at the fringes of the strike zone. Um, Cause like everything's a strike down the middle, everything's a ball once you get even a couple inches outside the zone, but like how guys, you know, approach that out of the zone thing. And that's where, um, you know, we're, we're going to 
hopefully develop some heat maps soon. And so you might be able to see of like this guy swings at more fringe pitches inside and takes more fringe pitches outside, but they're about even. And like, so you can kind of see that a little bit of, okay, how is he seeing basically balls and strikes? And it's, you know, appropriately named. I mean, it, we're, we're trying to get context here, but, it, you know, the yeah, title it's self, strikes it's self, it's self-explanatory, yes. right? Yeah. It, it, yeah. it definitely helps kind of describe it and helpful for you to talk that through as well. So rattling through some names here as I was looking at the list, I kind of put the, the, the usual suspects that in a way almost validate your chart. And I bet you guys had a blast seeing things that made sense from your from your model and say like oh this seems like it's it's working this checks out and the usual suspects for strike zone judgment uh bregman was 15th chris bryant was 17th uh freddie freeman and mookie betts were both you know right around uh top 30 and then on the other end of the spectrum javi Baez was the second worst and o'neill cruz was the fifth worst which to me if i'm thinking strike zone judgment uh that all would be stuff I would be like, yep, that makes sense. Moving over to the, the surprises, which will, for each of these topics, do the good surprises and also the bad surprises. These I was throwing out there. So I'll read through these names and then, you know, both Steve and Kyle, you guys can jump in and add some commentary from a couple names that stand out at you. But I was surprised to see that Kyle Tucker was number two overall on Strike Zone Judgment. Um, obviously think of Tucker as an elite player, but not necessarily, uh, you know, major league leading on strike zone judgment. I I don't think I would have guessed that Ronald Acuna, who's had some volatility on strikeouts, uh, you know, maybe he's got a pretty good sense of what he's going after because he was 13th on this list. Uh, George Springer, a few behind him at 16th, Brandon Lau at 30th, uh, really surprised me just with kind of the the volatility that comes with him. And similarly, Marcus Simeon, who can run pretty hot and cold. He's got a little bit of swing and miss in his game, uh, but a veteran as well. And and Simeon was 35th on the list. So I kind of bucketed these as good surprises. Uh, Steve, maybe if we want to start with you, I mean, does anything jump out here that you're like, you know, either thinking twice about or that you want to comment of like, yeah, no, he's, he's great in this, this capacity. Uh, Kyle Tucker is definitely a little surprising. I, I'm not as surprised just because I think, you know, the the thing that's so attractive about Kyle Tucker is like, oh, he has this good walk rate, a good strikeout rate, and then has this power and, and speed that kind of makes him the five-tool fantasy player that he's become. Acuna is probably a little more surprising for me, but I don't know. Maybe, maybe this is like him becoming like more mature of a hitter, like, and it was kind of hidden last year because the power wasn't fully there and it was a kind of disappointing season, even though he still had a bunch of stolen bases. Um, so I, I, I don't know. I, I could see Acuna kind of putting it all together now that he had a normal offseason uh, where he wasn't recovering from a major knee injury. Um, so that's encouraging on top of surprising with that. But yeah. um Lau is probably a bigger, maybe the biggest surprise on this list. Springer and Simeon are kind of like you know a little surprising, but you know they're veteran hitters. Lau, it's just you know you think of this him as like a, a volatile, low batting average guy that can't really hit lefties, but uh, it's a little surprising to me that he's he's thirtieth on this list, and maybe it'll give me a, a second look. Uh, you know, 
make me give him a second look this year. I've kind of been writing him off and think it's more of a volatile player that I should be ignoring. But uh, th- this is this has been encouraging that he does have a a good strike zone judgment for a guy that you would think has a volatile and sometimes too high of a K rate. Kyle, uh, pending for your thoughts on this list of names. Yeah, absolutely. So, like, the way I think of strike zone judgment is this is, like, the bedrock of are they helping themselves? Like, just by taking that bat off their shoulder, are they taking balls and then are they swinging at strikes? And it might always be the best idea to swing at a strike, but at least that's when they should be swinging. And so, like, look at, like, like we were talking about uh, Kyle Tucker, great name, going number two overall on strikes on judgment. So one of the ways I've validated a lot of these stats is internally how they make sense to me with current stats. So looking at fan graphs, they're super helpful, um, especially for like plate discipline to sort it. And so first thing I did, go to their plate discipline, sort zone swing. So who's swinging at balls, strikes in the zone the most? Kyle Tucker, number one, 84% zone swing percentage for qualified batters. So like that was, he also has a 30% O swing, which is definitely below average. So the combination of just swinging at strikes is what, and kind of not swinging at balls is what's really goosed him up there a little bit. Um, same thing with um, Brennan Lau. He's got a, a 70, mid 70s percent zone swing percentage, uh, another like low 30s O zone, uh, O swing percentage. So those, those work really well. Um, Acuna. Acuna had a sub 30% uh, out of zone swing percentage. You, I would have never, I would have never guessed that. I would have never yeah, guessed and that. So yeah. That's, that's kind of why I like this stuff is it's making a single value out of two different things, high zone, low O zone, mm-hmm. low O swing percentage, and then hopefully both. Uh, and so, yeah, so I, I was just looking this up now. I love Acuna, but yeah, he's got a little bit of strike strikeout concerns but this says it's not really from how he sees the ball that he sees the zone well he knows it pretty well and he's really spitting at those pitches that are going to get him into better counts yeah i I think it definitely is uh you know shifts your thinking a little bit on just the the fear factor of acuna if you're trying to grab him you know in like the top two or three picks this year to know that he's, you know, top 15 on basically having a good eye at the plate. So um, shifting to the bad side of this, Acuna's teammate, Michael Harris II, popular name in the offseason, possibly polarizing a little bit because of the the draft day price. Michael Harris II, 11th worst on uh, the, the swing or the strike zone judgment. Andrew Vaughn, another one that we kind of, you know, value a little bit of that plate discipline, 26th worst. And Jonathan India, who doesn't really strike out as someone who has bad plate skills, 30th worst. You know, all three of these guys are young. I think, um, you know, maybe the argument, and Kyle, you can jump in here. Maybe yeah, I've heard Eno Saris talk in the past about how you can kind of get away, get away with uh, – you know, questionable swings if you have the bat speed to kind of compensate for that and the coordination to do it. Um, but these three names, I think, you know, were just a little bit interesting to see at the bottom of the strike zone judgment list. Uh, Kyle, any thoughts on these three? Yeah, so it's honestly like part and parcel. It's the opposite of the the first surprises that I was looking, and these guys are all running like 
mid to low 60s zone swing percentages, which would be bottom 30 for qualified batters. And that's, you know, that's not an indictment of them or of their approach. And like you said, their ability to actually hit the ball will, you know, buffer this a bit. But they're just not swinging at all of the strikes uh, that they're seeing. You know, there's no shame in that. A lot of guys, too, like, that's just an ingrained approach of see that first strike, that that's going to penalize you. And maybe especially once, like you said, they're all young, maybe they'll get used to seeing those MLB pitches and being able to be like, okay, I'm going to jump on this one a little bit more. Um, But, yeah, like, just looking, um, Andrew Vaughn, 63% zone swing, 35 and a half out of zone. Both of those, not exactly the side of league average you want to be on. Um, Michael Harris, almost 40% O swing, which is wild. Like he, the, it's also even more impressive that he had such a great season. It's almost like he did so well, despite kind of doing it with one hand behind his back swinging yeah. these junk pitches he can hit anything yeah, yeah. Steve, Steve are you shifting your opinion on any of these guys I think these are guys generally speaking that we like usually yeah Harris is concerning and I don't think I'm going to be paying the cost uh, it, it like Kyle said uh, and, and even looking at the, the rolling uh, strike zone judgment like he got better but it was still the bottom 10 percentile of the league which is which is pretty crazy, and as far as like overall strike zone judgment, so balls and strikes, whether whether you know pitches that he should be swinging at or taking, so sooner or later, no matter how talented he is, uh, he's going to have to make an adjustment to yeah. stop swinging at pitches that the pitchers want to throw him because they'll, they'll figure that out one way or the other. Um, so until I see that adjustment, I am not going to pay a second or third round price for for michael harris just because uh with with that strike zone judgment i, I just can't buy yeah, into a repeat you know it, it he, he may change it. it he may change right like th- that could be something they worked on in the offseason but we'd have to see it first for sure yeah and it's just you know if he's not smoking the ball it, uh, you know could that lead to a pretty rough month of you know batting 200 and you know, as like a second, third round guy, that's, uh, you know, kind of flashbacks of the Jose Ramirez a few few years back. So let's let's keep rolling. Let's go to chapter two of, of the hitter attributes and look at decision value. So, Kyle, if you could lead us off by kind of describing what decision value uh, encapsulates. Yeah. So the, the definition I went with is the modeled value uh, in runs per 100 pitches of a hitter's decision to swing or take minus the modeled value of the alternative. So if they swing, they get credit for swinging, and we take away any value they would have received from taking, um, vice versa. The easier, maybe more intuitive way to think about this is we just talked about strikes on judgment. That's kind of a binary uh, ball or strike, yes, no kind of decision mm-hmm. and what this does is this provides more nuance more context of okay is he is he spitting on that jacob de slider even if Got it's in it. the zone okay. like you're not going to do a lot of damage to that so you're not going to get you know penalized for taking that even if it's in the zone versus if you know uh, an oo curveball middle middle goes by you that you should have just crushed 
you're going to get penalized a lot for taking that more than if it was, you know, a, a more challenging pitch or not. So um, this is kind of the pick your spot wisely metric. Yeah. In, in yeah, terms this is of, exactly yeah, when like, you swing, are you swinging at the right time, even if it's not a, a you know, independent of whether it's a strike or a ball, is it a good pitch to try to do some damage on? Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. That this is, yeah. What are the pitches that you're expected to hurt the most? And we want you to swing at those. And then what are the pitches that are like the biggest traps? We want you to take those the most. I love it. Yeah, this is uh, most of the questions we had on on chapter one are are kind of captured in this metric. So this is a good one. So usual suspects uh, on this Juan Soto number one. So for all the times we say, you know, Soto has got to be like the best hitter in the game, uh, you know, certainly on the taking his, his shots, uh, number one on decision value. Uh, Bregman, again, uh, number five. Javi Baez, uh, dead last on this one. <laughs> not, not that this is the anti-Baez pod, but um, yeah, it, it's a validator. And then we get over to the good surprises on this one. And, you know, challenge me on these ones too, guys. But uh, Max Muncie, number 11 here. So, you know, Muncie now kind of a, a veteran. He was, he was a late bloomer. I think we all know that he can take a walk. He can do some damage when he's hot, but did not expect him to be just outside the top 10 here. Uh, Tristan Casas for being such a, a youngster, you know, still prospect eligible, number 13 on this one. Uh, Taylor Ward, a popular name who's kind of an ADP riser, 16th on decision value last season. So definitely um, kind of backing up those two-thirds of the season when he was one of the better hitters in baseball. And then small sample size, but I thought it was worth noting, Gunnar Henderson, number 30 here. So in the the short time that we saw him, uh, definitely showcased that he's got the maturity at the plate to swing at the right pitches. Uh, Steve, opening thoughts on any of these guys, anyone that kind of made you look twice? Maybe not necessarily a name guy, but more of a question for Kyle. But does something like this stabilize a little bit quicker because you have such a you know, it, you know, with with barrel rate, right? You, you talk about you want like fifty balls in play in order to to get something useful, right? To to for it to be indicative of of a player at least, or at least even descriptive, right? Um, but for something like this, like a player has, you know, like four four or five at bats a game, and could see, you know, uh, you know, ten pitches in at bat, right? That's you know. 40 decisions a game, right? You have a lot bigger sample. So is this something that stabilizes relatively pretty quickly so we can tell something useful from Gunnar Henderson's 30 games played? Yeah, absolutely. These, uh, so the, yeah, these two, and then we also have on the app uh, swing aggression, which there's not really a good or bad swing aggression, but mm-hmm. it's kind of cool to see. Just tells you more, if, yeah. How much more often they swing or take, mm-hmm. you know, given now that we have, expectations for how often a pitch will get swung at. Um, but those three stats, they stay wise super fast. So less than 400 pitches seen. So everyone on those apps, it hit the stability point. Uh, the point where like I'm pretty confident that it's stable and doing year-to-year correlations, that it's pretty. there's a pretty strong correlation for each of these to itself in the next year. So yeah, for someone like Gunnar Henderson... Not a ton of games played, but he's seen enough pitches that I feel pretty good that 
yeah, he's got a pretty good eye at the plate and he knows what pitches he can really do damage to and what ones to kind of just take. Um, one of the ways, so, you know, looking through those guys we talked about, Soto, Muncie, Bregman, these are guys that are kind of just known for not swinging a ton. And this stat will pretty much, this will reward guys a little bit for seeing more pitches. The okay. idea kind of being, yeah. okay, that was a fine pitch to hit, but I'm going to bet on the pitcher making a mistake and I'll get a good or a great pitch to hit later and I'll swing at that one. That makes sense. So, so yeah, guys that just basically wait and, and go deeper into counts, you know, innately, whether it's a tough strike, like a slider in the zone, or they're just skipping on balls, they're kind of racking up credit in this category a little bit. What yeah. about, and this is more of like a meta larger question, but like what about, how would it consider something like, you know, a guy in two strikes, like fouling off a tough pitch? Is that something that, you know, yeah, staying so. alive, right? Like even though it probably wasn't a great pitch to hit, right? If, if you foul tip a, a pitch to just barely stay alive in that bat, right? Is, is there any way to question. consider that? Yeah. So one of the things that goes into this is the count. And so the model kind of knows going into it how often guys are swinging at this or how often, you know, this will result in different things. And so it won't necessarily give him credit for that contact for fouling it off. But if that's um, like, as long as it's not like an obvious ball, he'll get credit for swinging Got it. it. Yeah. Versus like, you know, if it's a full count, that's where you get a lot of those have kind of the most impact on if you swing at a bad pitch, you lose the whole plate appearance basically. So you lose like a lot of value or Mm -hmm. if, you know, if you take a borderline one, but it's a ball or like it's a ball 60 or 70% of the time. Well, that has a lot of value because then you're getting a walk. Whether it's, whether it's called a strike or not, like you took a good pitch. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So there's, so it, and that's kind of one of the beauties of this too is it doesn't care how good you are with the stick. It's just saying, did you take the bat off your shoulder? Yes or no. And then did you do that in a way that benefits you? And I will say the league average, the player like player averages, everyone, Javi Baez included, makes positive swing decisions. Like that they provide value by swinging the bat. Or take or taking that they like have an idea of these things will help me generate value. Baez is he flirts with not providing value, <laughs> but, he still, but, but he, still, he still does. But he still does. It's still it's still positive. Crazy. And so I thought that was interesting. Like <laughs> these guys it, yeah. are major league hitters. Like they at least yeah. have an idea of this pitch will help me. This pitch will hurt me. You know, even even Javi. Yeah, that's no, that's that's good to know and kind of cool. Cool to hear just that, yeah, these are pros. Um, on the reverse is is kind of the bad surprises. And, you know, some of these, especially the first two, are still good in the, in the good department. But I was a little surprised to see, because we talk so much about Stephen Kwan, Vinny Pasquantino as, you know, kind of these cheat codes in terms of plate discipline, that, you know, most of the names we just talked to, like Soto was an 80 grade on, on your chart, Kyle. And I think Gunner got down to like a 65 grade, but, you know, going down the chart a little bit more of like the upper middle class 
was where you found Vinnie Pasquantino with a 60 grade and then Stephen Kwan with a 55 grade. Those two I just thought were, were kind of interesting because I thought, you know, with just kind of their pure hitting approach that maybe they were, you know, swinging at the, the pitches that they should have and that they would be top 10, top 15. Uh, Wander Franco was a 45 grade last season. Some other 45 grades, which, you know, this is kind of in the, I think the light red or even getting into uh, a little bit of the blue with the 45s. And the, the names here were like Trey Turner, Bo Bichette, Nathaniel Lowe. Um, some other ones down in the 40s were like Tommy Edmond, Tim Anderson. So these ones I thought were kind of head scratchers a little bit, but maybe it's just because they're more aggressive. Um, curious your input, Kyle, on on some of these ones that you know, a l- are a little bit different than our preconceived notion. Are, are these guys like, uh, uh, sorry to jump in, but it no, seems no. like maybe they have more of a hit tool. So they're swinging at pitches that other guys aren't swinging at or, or getting value from, at least with like Quan and, and Franco. Uh, I know Bichette too. It's kind of been a downside, like why he doesn't walk and sometimes is able to make contact on, bad pitches because he's so good at making contact sort of thing. Yeah. So that, no, that's, that's a great, like none of these stats are an Island uh, that they all kind of have influence uh, at least in reality that like, we're not taking into account for this metric, their ability to hit the ball, but like you're absolutely right. Wander Franco knows, Oh, I can hit that ball. And so he's going to go out and hit it even if most batters couldn't or that mm-hmm. he can get a double off of something that most batters is a single that in reality, you know, every, every, every hitter's different. They have different strengths, different weaknesses. And it's like, you know, maybe a guy's got great coverage on the inside of the plate. And so something that to the majority, you know, we get back again to that, like quote unquote average hitter is maybe not a great decision. That's right. in his like wheelhouse. So that feeds into this of this is like, hitter agnostic but how they handle that hitter agnostic metric um but getting to kind of more of those specific guys yeah a lot of them uh van you kind of touched on this they're a little more aggressive that this is a stat that's you're kind of it's it's harder to get good decision value by being aggressive because those guys at the very top you know like your sotos your bregmans that they're waiting to hit great pitches rather than fine pitches and mm-hmm. you know kind of feeding into uh, steve what you were asking if a guy knows i can get i can hit that like i can get on base i can hit that and do damage that way that maybe they're going to swing at that first one that they they know like okay i can go out and get this that you know maybe they're looking for pitches they can get a single with versus someone like bregman or soto are looking for pitches okay I can pull this, I can hit it, you know, to the gap for a double that that they're looking more of pitches that they can do more damage to. And so it's not that necessarily one is better or worse than the other, but it's just, they derive their value that this is how guys like Soto, Bregman, Jesse Winker, that they bring value this way while those other guys are maybe leaving a little bit on the table here, but they're making up for it by, swinging more because they can make better contacts later. Yeah, I think that's a that's a good segue here. I think that if you kind of use all of this in in unison, right? Like if you see that, you know, Stephen Kwan 
has is an aggressive has a swing aggression that's high, makes okay swing decisions, but has elite contact ability. You don't really care because he's swinging at stuff and has this elite contact ability. So, uh, right. segue I, there. Play yeah, a, there you go. Well, to play another narrative out there, I think you know Pasquantino has been one that you know we're all kind of projecting in different ways, and maybe a metric like this kind of supports that that narrative that some of his projections have him at like 23 homers, you know, not like a out and out 30 homer guy, but his average is high. And maybe despite, you know, how big Pasquantino is, how hard he hits the ball, he's okay being aggressive and, and swinging at that okay pitch to get a single rather than, you know, doing what Muncie does of, you know, sitting around and waiting for something that he can crush. So Super interesting and, and totally agree that, um, yeah, I mean, it, it seems like you have to look at all these together and, and kind of paint the story. Uh, so we will use Steve's uh, segue <laughs> to contact hitters and talk about where Quan landed on that list uh, next. But first, we are going to take our second ad break and then we will be right back. And we are back. And if you guys are listening to this in the first week, there was no ad break, which is always funny on the playback. But we're, we're over to contact and the, the hitter's ability to make contact, uh, and that's a foul strike or a ball in play, above the contact expectation of each pitch. So, Kyle, for this one, we're back to that place of, you know, if, if it's a meatball down the center of the plate, it's not going to get as much credit as it would if it's, you know, a perfect slider to the outside corner, right? Yep, exactly. Perfect. And so this kind of feeds into... It works. So the way these stats look is that they're kind of at odds, like contact ability and decision value. That generally guys are good at one and not maybe as good at the other or great at one and like average at the other. Um, And the reason for that is if you have good decision value, you're probably swinging at pitches that you have a higher expectation of hitting. And so your ability to like, add to that is capped that like you said if you get a meatball down the middle you're swinging at that that's a good decision and you're expected to hit it so it's like yeah you did what you're expected you know so there's a little bit of that kind of selection bias of guys who wait for good pitches to hit don't have quite the ceiling on influencing whether they hit the ball or not yeah, that's a funny inverse relationship. Last week I brought up the switching sports reference of like in, in basketball they talk about like a, a good tough shot maker. And it's like, yeah, if you look at the guys who have the, the most made tough shots, like a, a fadeaway with a hand in your face, they might have the most made tough shots, but they probably aren't going to have the best field goal percentage because innately, like if it's a tough shot, it's not going to be likely that, that you're making it. And, and I think – yeah, that the fact that you guys have baked that into the actual numbers uh, makes all the sense in the world that if you're waiting and waiting for the meatball down the plate, it's not going to get you as many points as, you know, if you get jammed and you turn it into a single and that's going to give you a, a lot of kind of extra credit, right? Yeah, absolutely. And that's like, I know we were saying that maybe uh, Pasquantino, you know, everyone, you know, he's got great plate discipline, but he doesn't maybe show up as highly in this decision, in our decision value metric. Well, he's 60 grade decision, 70 grade contact. And the only other guy that can say that is Michael Brantley, who 
is a great, like a, a hitter, knows what he's doing, makes great contact, can put the bat to the ball exactly how and when he wants to. And that's literally the only guy with a better decision and contact combo. So and can we can we cheat ahead, Kyle, oh, and drop the power score for both of those guys? Yeah, absolutely. And so that's they got league average power. And so that does like when you put yourself in such good positions, add contact and hit for even league average power, that's a really good hitter. So Vinny is still league, league average on the power. Yeah, yeah, he's he's 50 grade power. And that's the thing and that well we'll get to that later but that's yeah, yeah. that's functional yeah. usable power too. It's not just how hard is he hitting the ball, it's how likely is it to get bases, not just oh he smoked it to the first baseman. No, love that. And, and uh yeah, I think that's good to add context to the fact that you know, Pasquantino while he was the upper middle, the combination of him being upper middle there and 20th on this chart for for contactability uh, shows that he's kind of pairing, you know, like like few do in the in the league. But let's talk about the usual suspects real quick. You mentioned Luis Arias; he is third on contactability in the league. Wander Franco, fourteenth. Uh, Alex Verdugo, fifteenth. I think those are guys you kind of associate with good contact hitters. Michael Brantley, right there at sixteen, and then you have Quan at eighteen and Vinny P at twentieth. Steve, I had to throw in that Keston Hira is last. That, that's a, that's <laughs> how you know it's a good model. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so moving to the, the good surprises, I was not ready to see Kybert Ruiz at a, a seventh overall on this chart. Uh, Nico Horner, I think, is a exciting name, kind of a, a discount version of some of those other guys uh, at 17th. And Cattell Marte at 35th on the good surprise list. Adley Rushman at 40th and Rowdy Telez. A little surprised to see that he was in like the top 60, still came out of the 60 grade, which I thought is good for, for big Rowdy Telez, who offers plenty of pop too. But um, open up the floor here, Steve, if there's any names that jump out or any questions you want to send over to Kyle on this one. No, no, no. It's uh, I, I, I think it's, Sort of like the you know the the usual suspects list. I think it's a it's a it's good proof. Uh, the biggest one for me is Rowdy. That's uh, n- encouraging. You know, I don't know if we'll ever run, uh, you know, uh, a two eighty or two ninety batting average just because of who he is. But it's good that he has this uh, you know contact ability with his raw power. I think it makes him a nice first baseman option later in drafts. Yeah, and Kyle, anything when you look at these guys that really jumps out on the the contact metric? Uh, no, I think it something that the the way I think about this too is especially some of these guys like uh, you're like Jose Iglesias, your Joey Wendells that are like at the top of the list that they're uh, it's like a Vlad Guerrero Senior that they're bad ball hitters that you're con- you'll get uh, kind of the opposite of what we were saying before of if you swing at a pitch that you should hit you can't get you can't add to it as much but if you're swinging at a pitch way outside or in the dirt and you hit it that like you like that what you were not expected to do that at all and so this kind of rewards bad ball hitters a little bit um and so that's kind of just something to help that helps me internalize it and think about just like okay how do these guys uh, you know, how, how often are they 
making contact, you know, this one will probably help you a little bit estimate maybe if a guy's strikeout percentage makes sense. Like if, if his con, if his contact ability here is bad that yeah. And these will line up too with your fan contact percentage. These just take, they adjust for the pitch you see. And so there's some more nuance to this, but the, they'll line up pretty, pretty consistently because they're both using, you know, are, are you swinging at the ball? And so it's the same samples and all that. Yeah. No, that, that makes sense. And uh, Steve, to your note on, on Roddy Telez, just one other tidbit there is uh, he lost 15 hits last season to the shift, second most in the majors. So there you maybe go. we'll see, uh, you know, a little rowdy helium here as we get closer that it's a discount kind of power and a little bit of contact. But we'll keep rolling, guys. I know we still got um, a, a couple to get through. The bad surprises, just to check it off for contact ability, is – uh, Buxton and Teoscar Hernandez were both 35 grade. Uh, William Contreras, a 40 grade. Uh, Judge and Goldie, a 45 grade. But again, I think we kind of talked about why that might be the case with you know the patient approach at the plate. Um, and Corbin Carroll, also a 45. Uh, Kyle, on that list, I mean, just when you see guys like Goldschmidt and Judge, is that safe to say that that's probably being docked because you know they're they're taking so many pitches and that's kind of hurting their score a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. That they're swinging at pitches that they should be hitting. And so if they don't, whether that, you know, they miss swung or, you know, got fooled, whatever, that they are kind of have a higher bar that they need to meet to be adding contact. Um, I mean, something interesting, they both still run, you know, a double digit swinging strike percentage. So that's kind of something to keep in mind. And especially, I think Goldie was like right at 10. And so that will factor into this a little bit. Um, That's kind of like a gauge for that. Um, And so, yeah, so if they're swinging at good pitches and have like a league average swinging strike rate, their contact is going to be, yeah, where they are now. That's slightly below league average mark. Makes sense. Okay, well, let's move over to power. We kind of teased it a little bit, but seems like a, a pretty straightforward topic. I mean, most people understand what a power is, a power hitter is. But Kyle, how have you guys kind of assembled this on the back end? Yeah. So the way this is set up, and I'll get into. So the the way we've defined it is, we run a separate a separate model, and we basically say it's like your X batting average or your X Woba based on how hard you hit a ball and at what launch angle, we think it's worth this amount of extra bases. So it's like a X ISO on contact. And then we take away how many bases we would expect that pitch to yield if you made contact with it. So basically how many extra bases did you add above the extra bases we expect that pitch to give? Gotcha. That makes sense. So yeah, the X ISO versus the expectation. And that's kind of what PLV is all about is, is somehow using that specific pitches expectation, right? Yeah. So if you add, let's say you hit a home run off of like a ridiculous slider that is supposed to yield negative extra bases and you hit a home run off of that, right? You'd be adding even more right it rewards 
Yeah, I, right. So like, is, is that go, kind of a way? It doesn't go below yeah. zero. There's okay. not. You're not taking okay. bases away. You're not yeah. walking yes. away from got home it, plate. But uh, no, it, but it will be like, yeah. If you my favorite one of my favorite home runs this season is Shohei Otani like does like a golf swing because the ball is so inside and he just pulls it for a home run and it's just like you that that pitch was inches off of the plate. And he just, he almost like, it's like a fadeaway home run swing. And so for that one, he's adding all those bases. That there's like no expectation of extra bases. Yeah, so it would be like four plus zero, essentially. Like the yeah. most that you could possibly add, right? Yeah, okay, so, yeah. yeah. That, so you that could was, add four. Yeah. And then on the flip side, yeah, you get that meatball down the middle. You know, it's going to be right around four expected bases. Maybe a little less because that'll be a double sometimes. But yeah you know, you really should be hitting that for a home run. So you, it's uh, like we were saying with the contact of if you're swinging at good pitches to hit for this one, if you're hitting pitches down the middle, you should be getting extra bases. And mm-hmm. so like the ceiling's kind of capped if, you know, you're hitting a mistake versus if you're hitting a challenging pitch, you have more room to assert yourself and your own abilities on that pitch. Very interesting. And, and, yeah, I think that that helps on when we get into some of these names because there again are, are some ones that are uh, you know interesting in the way that we just don't look at some of these guys as like great fantasy players right now at least. Um, but then there are some that definitely track it, and you know the model kind of spits out, and you're like, "Yep, that all makes sense." Uh, for instance, the top ten has Kyle Schwarber, Mike Trout. Jordan Alvarez, Aaron Judge, Joey Gallo, which we know he's a power guy, Nolan Gorman, I think we've all kind of seen the raw power, and Shohei Otani. Um, but moving into the surprises, on the other end of the Keston Hira play, number one on this power chart, uh, Trace Thompson was number two. So that top two, just with Hira and Trace Thompson, was crazy to see. Uh, Cal Raleigh at 12, Teoscar Hernandez at 18, uh, Eloy Jimenez at 19, William Contreras, who's kind of like a stat cast darling, uh, with 20 or 21st on the list. Jared Kelnick was the name I was kind of thinking of where it's like, man, 22nd in the league on, on the, the power PLV metric. And then Max Muncy again at 30, despite having kind of that high, uh, uh, decision value. So, um, on, on these names, Kyle, anything that kind of jumps out as how we should kind of assess uh, the 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 surprises on power here? Yeah, so I yeah, a hundred percent. I panicked when it's yeah, Keston Chira and Trace Thompson one two. <laughs> like that's not what anyone talks about when they're like, oh, these are the mashers in baseball. But I went to uh, Baseball Savant and I pulled up um, X Will Bacon. You know your the your expected woba on contact, and took a look and Trace Thompson's third with four hundred wow. uh, pitches and Keston Hira's fifth, surrounded by guys like Judge Jordan, Mike Trout, Kyle Schwarber. Like, yeah, rounds out your top six. When you take out the anything to do with making contact, right? Like Keston Hira is going to do good. Yeah, so. ex- exactly, and that's the thing. Like that's why. I, you know, that's why I called it power, that this is just like how much juice are they adding to that ball when they hit it? When they hit it. 
Yeah, yeah I'm then, loving so yeah. much. Like the tone of your voice, Steve, is like that. You know, you could write a novel on like the the exhaustion you have with Hira. Like you've <laughs> you've loved him so many times. You've been burnt. It just yeah, it, I'm cracking up over here hearing you talk about. It. I'm here to bring you back in. Just come on, come on back. Uh, I, I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not doubting the power. It just you know, yeah. you, can't, you can't hit. I mean, he was last in, in the contact. Uh, yeah, if you get a uh, metric, so. Woba on contact or a, a batting average on contact league, he's your guy. Yeah. So with Kelnick, I think we've all been quick to write him off. I mean, Kyle is what's kind of jumping out with Jared Kelnick is it a similar story that it's just it's contact issues, but when he does connect, it, he's got some serious jack. It's, I mean, it's definitely contact issues. I'm not going to be come here and tell you that. He's good at contact. He has not been in his career so far. I know minors are a different thing. But so one of the ways to think about this is like if you have it's you're taking like your ex your expected slugging and you're subtracting your expected average. And that's your ISO is basically the extra bases. So the thing about Kelnick is he has a low average so we're not expecting him when he makes contact to really get a lot of hits but when he makes contact we expect those to be extra bases more than not it's almost like um it's like joey gallo's actual batted ball distribution of like yeah when he hits it it's a home run like but he just doesn't always hit it and that's the thing with him of like the the how he hits the ball isn't always going to be a hit but when it does, it's going to be, you know, a double, maybe a homer, that kind of thing. And so it's that's something to kind of take with a grain of salt that he's adding bases, but he's adding bases to hits that aren't really expected to fall anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I mean, I think I would use this and it's kind of a no dust statement, but for the guys who aren't a huge average sucker that you know don't have major holes in their swing and and you know view that as kind of a validation that yes i i already thought they were a good player a good hitter but the power looks very real as well with like you know eloy jimenez for instance yeah. with you know he's a 280 to 300 hitter and he had 16 homers last year in just 84 games but here he is you know, 19th on the list of uh, the power PLV metrics. Yeah, and that's kind of something, too, I am not a doctor, and my recommendation is not that you use these to diagnose injuries or recovery. But for, like, a guy like Muncie, if you look at his rolling chart on the app, that midseason, his power just returns to – he's back to elite. You know, he was pretty good to very good before – but, you know, at the start of the season, he was dealing with that elbow injury. He had UCL damage. And I think he even had to do like an IL stint to help recover early last season. But then you can kind of start. And that's one of the benefits of these stats, too, is you can see the trends and the changes and they're more believable faster. And so for him, it's like, oh, he's back to really mashing the ball when he makes contact. And so, you know, it's he's I, th- I think we said he was 30th or about 30th overall last season but you look at that second half of the season and he's probably in the top 20 and so it's it's helpful to just see and or like a guy like uh Eloy that you want to make sure like okay is you know 
this is probably one of the ones that's best like is he back you know is he back to really putting some power into that ball guy you know guys can hit the ball and obviously swing decisions you don't even need to hit the ball it's it's are you swinging or not but for this one you can't fake it and so this is a, a lot better of oh okay you know he he maybe he's he's got it you know like i said eloy or muncie but maybe there's a guy you know that he's playing through injury and it, it shows that he's not he's not doing okay maybe he needs an il stint that kind of thing that's gold uh, analysis. I mean, I'd love to hear it on Eloy and Muncy. I mean, really good point. And I love the the note that it can kind of stabilize quicker because it's pitch by pitch. Um, Steve, were you going to add anything on that or do we want to uh, keep rolling? No, I think we keep rolling and kind of to, to segue into the, the bad surprise name, like you know, a guy like Chris Bryant there that just has a 45 grade power that was battling through, you know, that foot injury uh, despite being in cores and we we're hoping would be a power boost. Uh, you know, it, 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 it's proof of the concept, I think. Also, guys like yeah. Bregman and Simeon, I think that maybe for Kyle, like Bregman, you know, kind of peppers those Crawford boxes and gets the most out of his pull fly balls. I think Simeon does too. Is that something that that may be why they get more power than actually expected? Yeah, absolutely. So we'll start, uh, yeah, Chris Bryant, like I said before, this the whole model has no idea the location, the city that the pitch is being thrown in. It doesn't yeah. know that it's in Coors. Yeah. It doesn't know that it's Great America Ballpark. It doesn't know that it's uh, at Oakland Coliseum. Like it has no idea. It has no idea, you know, who the fielders are either. So things like like a Chris Bryant or your other Rockies hitter, a forty-five power. That's where you doing your own analysis, like, okay, well, I can, it's, it's, it's like if they change teams, basically, like if somebody gets traded to the Rockies, you're doing the same math that you are when you look at this stat of like, okay, Chris Bryant's a 45, but he's a Rocky. So maybe we could bump that up to like a 50. It's, you know, it's not going to make him Mm -hmm, elite mm -hmm, overnight mm -hmm. or anything, but like, you know, you might want to bump a grade up for a guy who is in, you know, for the Rockies, uh, the Reds, or on the flip side, uh, some Giants or some A's hitters, you might want to be a little more skeptical of like, okay, maybe they're on the low end of this grade or maybe even one grade down. That like that, like this is one of the ones where location context is super important because this is just batting uh, the velocity, the velo, and the launch angle. That that'll go further in cores than it will, you know, at sea level. Um, so that's Bryant, and then you you nailed it. You're absolutely right with Bregman and Semyon that this doesn't factor in uh, pull. So it doesn't know if it's going pull, dead center, oppo, and we know. I mean, I even did some research, joined the Pitcherless Discord. I posted something about three dimensional X Wilba that was based on launch angle, velo, and where they spray it to, making like an estimated Woba. And Bregman came up super high because, yeah, he's pulling he all sprays these it. Yep. 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 And so that's something that's super. That's like more context of like, okay, yeah, Bregman's got fringe average power, but because we know he's pulling it, it's not that he's – it's not that we should expect the ball to go further like maybe we would for cores, but – He's going to get the most Walker, out of it. 
Yeah. Well, yeah, and like generally your ballpark dimensions, your shortest line is going to be down those foul poles. Mm-hmm. So the ball doesn't have to go as far where he's hitting it. So he doesn't need to put as much juice into it to get that homer out of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, he at this stage with how long he's been there and, and how, how often he's been going to the Crawford boxes, it, it seems like you know, he's almost swinging for that going into it. Like he's picking out his pitches that he's like, okay, I'm, I'm going to try to pull this for a homer. And it's, uh, you know, Simeon, a a lot of his breakout was very much associated with that dead pole homer power. So that makes sense there. Uh, want to get to the last one here, Kyle, and I'll, I'll let you kind of explain hitter performance because this, you know, it doesn't, track as simple as power or contact or you know strike zone judgment hitter performance seems like broad terminology but from everything i've kind of heard and understood it might be the one that you know almost like like uh christian max ipa that we talked about last year like you're kind of looking at this ensemble and and putting it all together in one where i know i tease that save the best for last but could you talk about hitter performance and, you know, does this feel like a summation um, and one of the best, like, at-a-glance things to look at for fantasy purposes? I think, so this stat, definitely more than the others, is descriptive. So, that like, the reason it's called hitter performance is, we're looking at, and I'll just do the definition of fast, is runs added per 100 pitches seen by the hitter, and that includes their swinging, taking, contact, how hard they hit the ball after accounting for the quality of the pitches they saw. So where the other ones, things like swing decisions, contact ability, that we're just kind of seeing like, did they do this one thing? This is saying, this is a more end result based one. So this is now we're getting into this is post that context, especially with power that we were just talking about. So like Bregman, his power will look better in this within this hitter performance metric because he's getting home runs. That's the performance that it's not saying like, okay, well, based on how hard he hit it, blah, blah, blah. This is looking at what were their results. And so this is saying too, like we talked about the probable strike zone kind of thing. Well, this is saying, you know, maybe that pitch had a 40% chance of being a strike, but it was called a strike. And so that it's a very like binary, did this happen? Did this not happen? And then we weighed it based on uh, the linear weights that we've previously found in the model. And that's how we use to get our expected run values. But basically like, okay, he saw this strike in a 2-1 count that's worth minus this runs. Or he hit a double here from this count that's worth adding this many runs. And so this is a more, this values everything a hitter does. This values every pitch that they saw, basically. So so it's the results, but it also has a lot of that circumstance and likelihood of like the pitch and the count and, and all of that stuff that we had talked about. Previously. Yeah. So like all of these results have a value, you know, he hits a double that's worth this. Uh, he gets a, he takes a ball and uh, you know, an O2 count that's worth this, that those have value. And then we take away. So we basically account for the value of the pitch they saw. So he hit a double 
it's in, uh, you know, maybe he's in a two strike count and it's a hard pitch. Well, you know, that double is going to be worth close to the actual, like the raw, like Woba value of a double versus, you know, I'm always coming back to like that meatball of like, ah, that pitch was expected to allow some runs. So you might not get as like, if you hit a double, that's still valuable because that's still, you know, a percentage of our expected outcomes. But because it actually happened, you get that full double value, but it's not worth as much because that was a quote unquote easy pitch to hit. And so that's what this is. And so this, it's a lot more variable because it's results. And so that'll take things like they're, it's affected by their hit luck. It's affected by their ballpark. It's affected by, are they pulling it? Are they shifted? That's a huge one for the last couple of years. Um, that, you know, uh, ground ball into the shift, you know, are expected, uh, that's good contact, you know, maybe it's not a great power hit, but like good contact, all that stuff, but like that's going to be an out if it's into the shift and that's the result. And so that's, you know, bad. Um, And so it's a good kind of holistic view of the value a hitter brings. And, um, And it does, it, kind of allows for some nice things of if a guy's taking a lot of pitches, he should, he'll get credit for those balls. And then maybe he gets unlucky with uh, a guy makes a great defensive play on and out. Um, He'll get credit for those balls. He took, you know, he'll get, he'll still get penalized for making an out, but he's added value with those pitches he took previously. And so it kind of, it, it, smooths out a little bit guys for making the right decisions and then it gives them credit for things that actually happened. And I know a lot of it is, is result based, but is there any batted ball data on this in terms of like exit velocity or, you know, if it was a barrel or anything like that, that's factored in. I mean, you talked about like if they were to get robbed, by a great play at shortstop. Is that any different than kind of a ground, any a routine ground ball to the shortstop? Nope. This is just strictly results. Just what's on the, you know, what do you get on the box score kind of thing if you're looking at it. Gotcha. So, so what, yeah, what happened, but based or kind of factored in, you know, what the, the circumstance is, what the quality of the pitch was. Yeah. So what happened adjusted, yeah, for the pitch quality is hitter performance. Well, definitely checks out with the usual suspects. The top 10, again, has Judge, Trout, Alvarez. Goldschmidt is a name that, you know, found his way into this list. I know we were talking earlier about how he was lower. Um, And Shohei Otani, all those guys in the top 10. Um, On the good surprises, Mr. Matt Carpenter, number one on the list, which he obviously was, uh, you know, not a human being for that run he had last year with the Yankees. Um, before the injury when he had an OPS well over a thousand. So it makes sense. Um, and then we have Manessis as well, which I know, Steve, you've talked about Joey Manessis, but for him to be number three on this list uh, caught my eye. Corbin Carroll, number seven on hitter performance. Nathaniel Lowe, eight. Vinny Pascontino, 22nd. George Springer, 23rd. So, just an interesting set of names there, Steve. Not sure if you want to add any thoughts or questions on them, but definitely caught my eye for this metric. So since this is more descriptive and obviously, you know, you could tell because 
Carpenter and Manessis had these amazing years and short samples, but would the way that you would use this and say, okay, hey, like, you know, Vinny Pasquantino was 22nd on this list. He looks like he had a great hitter performance. Would you use the other tools from PLV to say, okay, like I could buy this because his, uh, you know, swing decision value is high, his contact value is high, all while having pretty good power. Like, and therefore, you know, uh, I guess is that the way to sort of use this tool where if you, you know, could find, like I'm just making that, but Manassas, like if it's, more okay he had this great hair performance but the underlyings don't back it up maybe it was more of a, a, a fluke sort of thing um underlyings being you know the the other tools the power the contactability the decision values and and, and strikes on judgment sort of things is that how you would think that this is the best way to use this tool yeah absolutely that's how the hitter performance, like you know, like we've been saying, is what happened, and then I'd be using the other four stats to basically diagnose: mm-hmm. is this legit? Basically, do I think? And if you like, we talked about a variety of ways to get there: draw a lot of walks with your decision value, put a lot of balls in play with your contact, add a lot of extra bases with your power. Like those things all add into this, and so does that make sense? And you know, that's why judges up here uh carpenter manessis like all three of those guys had great results judge had just elite underlying especially on the power metric but it's also you know matt carpenter had a really good year just straight up that he had made good decisions had good power made average contact manessis was uh above average across the board good decisions good contact good power and so I don't know that I would say like, okay, those are going to be, you know, at least Manessis and Carpenter, they're not going to be the top guys, but it's like, okay, they made things that justify some of this high value that we saw. Uh, a flip side of that, and he's just at the top of the list, and so that's why I want to talk to him, is someone like Corbin Carroll, uh, that he didn't rate very well by our ability metrics. He didn't make great decisions. He had below average contact and about average power, but he yielded a 70 grade hitter performance. And so to me, that says, okay, I think these results might be lucky, fluky, that kind of thing. I will say with Corbin Carroll, he's he only saw like 450 pitches. So he he barely cleared the threshold for me to put him on this table. And he's also what, like 22? So like I think it's a small sample. He got lucky in a small sample, but I think he, and based on his pedigree, his age, I think he's better maybe than those metrics said, but it helps me to at least diagnose like, okay, he had, he got lucky, good for him and like good for your fantasy teams, but it might be like, okay, I'll, I'll pump the brakes a little bit. I, or I might be maybe a little more skeptical of how he got there. Yeah, I, I think when you look at it all together, and great question, Steve, and, and it makes sense to, to kind of start with hitter performance and then give it the stress test by looking at everything else. And we'll be sure to include the link to basically the web application where you guys can look at this. And it's super easy. I mean, it, you know, it's color coded. You can sort. Um, and again, you, you can, you know, scroll and find a player and, and kind of say, well, yeah, Kyle Schwarber, 
hitter performance 65, the power was 80, but the contact was 40, and start painting the the picture of you know how you feel about each of these guys. Um, but yeah, that's that's the list of the the good surprises. Uh, quickly on on the format, the bad surprises. I mean. You know, Ozzy Albies had had a down year. I think uh, a lot of people are counting on the bounce back, but he did have the 45 grade on hitter performance. Uh, 50 grades, Muncie was in there. Mountcastle, Nick Castellanos, again, a bad year. And then Bobby Witt Jr. with a 50 grade, which is pretty crazy for somebody who's going first round in a lot of drafts. Um, Witt would be an interesting one. Let's do that a little live uh, just to round round out the show because I know, Steve, you've, you've been uh, kind of – of the opinion that he's way overpriced uh, in these this year's drafts, but wit. Let's see where he's at. Um. Well, yeah. Just while you're looking real fast, so one of these things too, and I know we talked a lot about hit luck and Babip, is that's going to show up a lot in these performance things. Of like, uh, I mean, before at least you get to wit. I'm just looking at his player page now, and he ran a sub 300 BABIP, which, I mean, that's close to league average, but we know how fast he is. And so you would think that's, you know, some positive regressions inbound. And, you know, that probably affected his 250 average. Obviously, you can't really get unlucky into a 290 OBP. Like, you also have to not take your balls and walks. But still, like, Maybe we would expect that he could get a couple more hits in that kind of thing, and that'll pump his performance up. Yep, and and just looking at it now, that the hitter performance was a fifty grade for Wit, uh, the power fifty grade. Uh, so those are bang average. Uh, contact slightly above average at fifty five, and then decision value and strike zone judgment both below average at uh, forty and forty five grade respectively. So yeah. I think it kind of confirms, you know, where you've been, Steve, on uh, the fade on Wit, at least unless we see kind of a, a skills growth growth from him. But yeah, yeah, very just, interesting. Just shows me that last year was, you know, my eyes didn't deceive me in the sort of the the overall line. Like there's some there's some room to grow for him to be a first yeah. round bat. I know absolutely. That, I know that the steals uh, cover up a lot of that for fantasy value, but there's definitely still some growth. Uh, that's, for him that's as, a, as a hitter fantasy wise like you know steals will put a lot of band-aids over mm-hmm. a lot of wounds like it Absolutely. covers up a lot you know yeah, yeah going so I, going that, 20 30 is nice and yeah and that's the thing pick. too of like you know if he's got 20 wall scrapers and 30 stolen bases that's going to be a lot more helpful than like maybe a guy like a you know, off the top, like a Wander Franco, who's just like, mm-hmm. you know, ripping doubles off the wall. That doesn't help you a ton in fantasy or like mm-hmm. advancing first to third on a, you know, a, a bad single that like that's good base running. That's good hitting, but that's not fantasy valuable hitting. Mm-hmm. And so that's something to keep in mind, too, is I, I, definitely for power. But like I tried to help make it more like fantasy relevant. Um, but the other ones, they're a lot more like specific to the hitter and you can extrapolate them a little bit like a a positive contact means he's probably going to have a higher average better decision values probably better obp get power goes like hand in hand with iso and so you can kind of start like splicing them together and being like okay he makes good decisions and has good power so you know maybe he'll get 
good like he'll have good RBI numbers because he's hitting pitches he can and he's hitting them for extra bases that that kind of thing. Yeah, that I mean that that all makes sense. I think this is super just a, a, another tool in the arsenal for for drafts and kind of, you know, tiebreakers when you're looking at two players. So this has been great and Kyle, thanks so much for the 90 minute rundown. I mean, it, I know that you guys are probably working on a ton now that this is out there and I'm sure there's a million things coming in on, you know, could we see this and that and, you know, questions about how the, the formulas and the algorithms are factoring in different things. But uh, any closing thoughts from you, Kyle, on, you know, just what's next for you or just kind of uh, takeaways for, for fantasy managers who are tuning into the show? Well, what's next for me is getting as much sleep as my daughter will allow me to get. <laughs> Definitely a big one. Um, yeah, just uh, it, it's so new. It's pretty complicated uh, under the hood. So we're, you know, we're still hammering out some of the kinks, especially as far as like getting it onto the database in the way that we want to present it. Uh, but, you know, everyone on the team is doing a great job. And then, yeah, I mean, you gave my Twitter handle at Blandalytics. I'm pretty responsive. Uh, I've, I'm sure you guys have seen in the Pitcherless Discord. If I have the time and the sanity, I can usually turn around a chart or a filter pretty quick. And I'm always happy to help like answer someone's question. So if, you know, feel free to DM me. I'm happy to discuss these things with you, walk through my process, share whatever I can. Like I think that's kind of one of the beauties of this and why one of the things I was so happy to do it for Pitcherless and for Nick is because we wanted to it to be public facing, like put all of this into the world, have everyone just see it, get to play in this new sandbox we have. And so I like I love that there's a, a cool baseball analytics community that's very like open with that and exchanges ideas. And so I'm happy to you know, help answer questions, give advice, or take comments, questions, edits, things like that. Like I'm all, I'm all ears. That's awesome. And and Steve, closing uh, thoughts from from you before we sign off here. No, I, I think it's awesome, and I know that from seeing it firsthand, and Kyle having to answer these questions and do a great job with it. It's uh, highly recommended if you have any questions there. It's. Uh, I know I've tried to help out a bit too there in Discord, but definitely don't have the information and power that Kyle does uh, just from building this tool. But uh, shout out to you for, for all that you've done and helped and answered all these questions and built this amazing, like you said, public-facing tool. I think it's uh, only going to get better from here. For sure. Yeah, and th- thanks for coming on, Kyle. Great. Uh, I mean, just super great meeting you kind of in person i know we're in the uh we're in the dynasty league together now with me and steve yeah. uh going to head to head with you so we'll have some banter steve's bashing my uh, first round bobby Witt pick right here <laughs> i mean yeah, you know you, and, and corbin carroll as well yeah, you did that that was self-inflicted no yeah everyone's trading in that league you know that's yeah yeah uh, that's, but no it's it's great and we won't we won't keep you any longer i know you guys both got you know your your sleep and your fatherhood to to work with but uh programming note for any listeners still on we will be off next week and then uh after that be on the weekly schedule as we get into uh the prime part of spring training but Happy spring training, everyone. Thank you guys for tuning in to the PLV to talk hitters and hitter attributes. 
As uh, you know, we mentioned before, be sure to follow Kyle on Twitter at Blandalytics. Our show is at WinsBovePod. I'm at Van underscore Verified. And Steve is at Stav8818. That is episode 88. Uh, thank you guys all for listening and talking baseball with us. We will talk to you next time. Thanks for listening, guys. Later. <laughs>